We've been in Romans for, well, I guess, probably 10 weeks looking at the book of Romans, and I hope I haven't bogged you down looking at it. I hope I've given you sort of a big, Paul's big, big, big picture. Really, he gives us a masterful argument, uh, introducing Christianity to those folks at Rome uh, because the judgment of God is coming, and the wrath of God is coming, and they needed to be ready. And so what he does in those first three chapters, Paul paints a picture of humanity, a general picture of humanity. That's a picture of me and a picture of you, a picture of all those people then. And the reason that the book of Romans is, is, was relevant to the first century is also the same reason it's relevant to the 21st century. We stand in the middle of a world that's facing the judgment of God. The wrath of God is coming. The evidences are all around us. There, evidences, there were evidences in their society that he pointed out, and there are also evidence in our society. So what Paul did was he painted that picture of human hopelessness, and then he illustrated it uh, in the life of Abraham. Abraham is his... Uh, illustration of both hopelessness and of faith. And so this morning we talk about the faith of Abraham as being an example of the faith that saves. And what I'd like to do is I would like to read to you Romans chapter 4, verses 16 through 25, as he begins to talk about Abraham's faith from the perspective of Abraham's own hopelessness, beginning to read in verse 16. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith is counted to him as righteousness, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. But for ours also it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now in Romans chapter 3, Paul wrapped up this argument about human hopelessness. In verses 10 through 18, he took a string of texts from the Old Testament and painted this picture. He said, there is no one who is righteous there is no one who is good. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks for God. Put all of humanity in a sack and weigh them on a scale 
and all of them are all together become unprofitable. They are, they all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That is a picture of you. That is a picture of me. No person can be declared righteous on their own apart from something God does. No person, as a matter of fact, can be saved without first coming face to face with their own personal hopelessness to do anything about their own sin or circumstances. So to make this even clearer, Paul goes about the process of illustrating hopelessness and he uses Abraham. He shows us Abraham's hopelessness, but in the face of that hopelessness, he also shows us Abraham's faith. So here's the first question we want to answer. What was it that God did in the case of Abraham? What did he do? Well, he simply made a promise, and it's a promise that we're going to talk about this morning and Abraham's evaluation of that promise. And Paul argues that it was Abraham's response to that promise that resulted in his own salvation. Not only so, he goes on to argue that no person can be saved without standing in the midst of his or her own personal hopelessness and making a similar response to an equally incredible promise from God. So first, God simply made a promise to Abraham. So second, what was the promise that God made to Abraham? That's the question that we want to answer. Now remember last week, we considered that God essentially preached the gospel in advance to Abraham by telling him that through one singular descendant of his, that he would make Abraham a blessing to all nations. He said one singular, one of your, not one of your seeds, but through one seed of yours, Abraham, you will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. That was the promise that God made to Abraham. But that was not the first time that promise had ever been given. It was given in a little different way all the way back in the third chapter of Genesis. You remember that Adam and Eve sinned. God cursed the serpent with these words. He said, the seed of a woman will crush your head. God was promising a deliverer. In essence, that's the first promise of the Lord Jesus Christ found in the scripture. As the Bible points ahead, God was pointing ahead to the promise of a deliverer. Adam and Eve believed that promise. They believed it, but they tried to institute it on their own. They had a son, so they named him Cain, which means this is the one. They thought Cain would be the promised deliverer. Of course, he was not, nor was the next son, nor was the next son. But then it comes down to the time of Abraham, and God says, Abraham, I'm going to bring that promised deliverer through you. I'm going to bring the, the, the Messiah, the Savior, through you. And Abraham uh, believed that promise. Now, you have to consider Abraham's own circumstances when God made this promise. When God said to Abraham, I've made you the father of many nations, Abraham and Sarah didn't have a child. You know that story. Abraham's almost 100 years old. Sarah's 90 years old. What hope did they have of having one child, much less of them becoming, uh, or Abraham becoming the father of many nations? So we're considering this promise that God made to Abraham, this plan of God and the promise of God. It was, it was obviously an, an impractical promise. It was an incredible promise. But from the standpoint 
of Abraham and Sarah, this elderly couple, it was an impossible promise. Now, why do we say it was impossible? Well, it was impossible as far as this couple was concerned. They could not bring about God's promise. And it was so far beyond them in one sense that they would never see it come to pass. But if they did see the beginning of it, if they did have a child, it would have to be absolutely supernatural. It would have to be something only God could do. So in chapter 3 of Romans, Paul paints this picture of human hopelessness. Here in chapter 4, he shows us that Abraham and Sarah were hopeless in their circumstances. What did they do in their hopelessness? How did they respond to the promise of God? Well, Abraham could do one of two things. He could either accept God's promise, believe it, or he could reject it. So how easy was it for Abraham to believe? And now we want to consider number three, what was Abraham's response to this promise? This promise that God made him, that he was going to have a child, a descendant through him. There would, he would have a child, and then through his descendants, one would be this promised deliverer, one of those descendants. How did he respond to this promise? Well, first, he evaluated that promise. He evaluated the magnitude of it. He evaluated himself and his own powerlessness to bring it about. He evaluated the circumstances of Sarah and the unlikelihood of her being used of God. Now, there was no whimsicalness on Abraham's part in response to this promise. He was honest with himself. He was honest uh, with his own circumstances. When, when you have a promise from God, you need to face the facts, whatever those facts are. And sometimes that's the way it is in life. You have the facts, the facts of your own circumstances, the facts of your own difficulties, the facts of, 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 of whatever struggle it is that you're, you find yourself in the midst of, and then you have this promise from God, and you have to respond to it. That's exactly where Abraham was. And here are the facts. The fact was that Sarah couldn't do this. The fact was that he couldn't do this. They were too old. The fact was that Sarah, when she heard it, she laughed about it. She laughed at the incredulity of it, the impossibility of it. And in hearing this promise, Abraham gave it that honest evaluation. This was something beyond them. This was something they couldn't do. It would be something that only God can do. So what was the conclusion of his evaluation as he looked at this promise that God made? Well, according to Paul in Romans, uh, he said it was against hope. You've heard that expression, in hope against hope that comes from the Bible in other words humanly speaking it was hopeless second he looked at the fact that he said my own body is as good as dead I'm near a hundred years old not only so he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb and what was his verdict hopelessly barren she'd never born a child nor had hope of bearing a child not only so but Abraham knowing his own heart as the heart to which God made this promise he knew he was undeserving of anything that God could give, just like you. God made you such an incredible promise. You'd have to say, God, I'm not worthy of such a promise. That's just the truth about me. Abraham knew the truth about himself. He knew. He knew what his own heart was like. He knew that he was not good. He knew that he didn't understand. He knew that he was not a person who sought for God. He knew the, uh, the brokenness of his own human circumstances, but all of those difficulties were not all that Abraham considered when he evaluated the promise of God. Third, he evaluated the God who made 
this promise. Now, I, should, I suppose that we need to look at the scripture and consider where Abraham was when he found himself evaluating the promise. And the scripture says here that he was in the presence of the God in whom he believed. Here's God making in this promise. He hears the promise. He receives the promise. He evaluates the promise. He measures the promise and the magnitude of the promise, but then he stopped to measure God, the God who made it. Have you measured God lately? You know, they've got a new telescope up in the sky called the Webb Telescope. I'm following that with great interest. I'm enjoying seeing the pictures that come back. The Hubble Telescope has been up there for a long time, sending back great pictures. But uh, the, the Webb Telescope is bringing us jaw-dropping pictures from the vast, uncharted reaches of space. And scientists are seeing things that they admit they never even dreamed to see with such clarity that it's causing many to ask again, how could such things exist apart from God? You and I live in the Milky Way galaxy. We live in a solar system. That's part of the Milky Way galaxy. The Milky Way galaxy, this galaxy of stars that we live in, our galaxy alone is 100,000 light years across. I'd say that's pretty big. But we live in a universe that has multiplied billions of galaxies. And against the backdrop of the universe, our own galaxy is no bigger than a grain of sand. One writer said, looking at some of these images, if there is a God who created all this, certainly we have failed to grasp his magnitude, we have envisioned him as too small. So what Abraham did, as he evaluated the promise, he took another moment to measure the God in whom he believed. He looked at the impossibilities connected to the promise, and then he stopped to look at the God who made them. He believed in this God. He experienced this God. He walked with this God. This God spoke to him. He knew him. He said, he is the God who calls into existence things that don't exist. Did you know that there's hardly a doubt in anyone's mind whether you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you believe in the biblical account of creation or you are a scientist who is a hard and fast atheist, there's hardly a doubt in anybody's mind at this point that there was a single moment of creation, as we are told in the Bible. In other words, there was a moment when nothing existed and a moment later when everything existed that does exist, perhaps not exactly as we know it today, but certainly in a moment, everything existed, just as the Bible said. And so the Bible presents creation out of nothing. That's how creation came about. And that's exactly what Abraham believed. He believed that he was the God who created things that exist out of things that don't exist. He also believed that this God that he believed in was a God who could give life to the dead. How did he know that? We don't know how he knows that. We don't know how he understands that. We don't know how he believed that, but follow him a few chapters into Genesis and you find the promise comes to fulfillment he does become the father of a son and then God asked him to go to a mountain far away and sacrifice that son on an altar and Abraham goes but he went all the while believing that if God required him to make the sacrifice that God could raise the child 
from the dead. He believed in a God who was just that powerful. So he looked at the promise on the one hand, the facts concerning the promise, the incredibility, the impossibility of the promise, and then he looked at God and said, man, that's no hill for a stepper. God can handle that. That's something my God can do. That was Abraham's conclusion. And so that's what we're looking at now. What did he conclude? Well, in verse 19, it says, He did not weaken in faith, looking at these human possibilities. In verse 20, we read, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Abraham never blinked when God made that promise. And look at what Paul says about this same God. Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, says in the book of Ephesians about this God that we serve. On one occasion, Paul's heart was just full to overflowing, and he said, now to him who is able. How able is he, Paul? How able is this God we serve? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or can even imagine. Look, all of us together, you could take all of humanity, put us in a sack, and take our imagination about everything all of us could imagine that God could do, and we can't even begin to get a speck of God's ability. We cannot imagine it. We cannot. God is so far beyond us. This is the God before whom we stand. This is the God who made this promise to Abraham. This is the God that Abraham said, I'm going to believe his promise. I'm going to stand on his promise. I'm going to put my hope, in spite of the hopelessness, in his promise. And God was pretty impressed with Abraham's faith. God declared him right with him on the basis of his faith. He says, he believes me. He trusts me. He depends on me. This guy, Abraham. Final question, what is there for you to believe? Well, we look in Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. It was counted to him, these Old Testament words, by the way, counted to him as righteousness, were not written for his sake alone, but also for ours. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised him from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Paul has said, you are hopeless people. You are a hopeless people. Humanity, all of humanity is a hopeless race. You have no hope standing before God because you are hopelessly sinful, hopelessly broken, and helpless to do anything about it. If that's where Paul had left it, we could have all closed the book and gone home and cried. But then in verse 21 of chapter 3, he said, but now, there's a different day. God has done something. God has sent his son. And what he wants you to do is believe in him and put your trust in him and put your hope in him, not in yourself and what you can do, but in something only God can do. Look at verse 16. For this reason it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed. I like that word, guaranteed by faith through grace so that the promise will be guaranteed. Man, I can't guarantee anything. I can't guarantee that I'll get up tomorrow. I can't guarantee that I'll walk down off the platform without falling down. 
I can't guarantee that I will have another minute of life or that you will have another minute of life. But, but Paul is saying God is guaranteeing this. He's guaranteeing it. In 1947, a rumor spread that the Ford Motor Company was going to give a new Ford for every person who could produce a 1943 copper penny. The rumor spread so fast, there was no Facebook in 1947, but the rumor spread so fast that the Ford offices throughout the country were jammed with thousands of requests for information. Not only were the offices of Ford jammed with requests for information, but also the offices of the U.S. Mint. It turned out to be a hoax. If it had been true that Ford was going to offer a, a new Ford for every a new 1947 Ford for every 1943 copper penny that someone can produce, it would have been hopeless anyway because it was determined that there were over a billion pennies minted in 1943, but they were all minted from steel zinc. Mint records showed that there was not one copper penny minted in 1943 because there was a copper shortage. Somebody probably knew that who started that rumor and it spread and some people believed it, but it was hopeless. I wonder today, perhaps, if you are looking for a magic penny among your good works to guarantee you a home in heaven. There's not one. I don't have one. You don't have one. No one has one. But God has given us a hope in heaven. Not only given us a little hope of heaven, he has guaranteed it to those who will put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There is no other hope. Divine appointments come in strange ways. Some of you know that I was in a revival this past Wednesday over in Alabama in a place that I served 30 years ago. And uh, found out on Wednesday night that there was a man there dying who found out that I was there, who just found out that day that I was there. He asked if I could come by and see him. I went by to see him. When I got there, I expected to see the man I had seen 30 years before. I suppose he expected to see the man he had seen 30 years before. He was a 60-year-old man. There I am, almost 66-year-old man, talking to this man who's dying. His trouble was that he said, Brother Eddie, I've not been a good man. I've been a terrible man. And he said, I don't think my faith is strong enough to get me to heaven. And I told him his name was Tommy. I said, Tommy, you got one thing right. You're not a good man. And I'm not a good man. There are no good men. But the other thing you got wrong, because it's not so much about the strength of your faith. It's about the strength of what you put your faith in. And I told him a story, and I share this story because it's, always helped me somebody said one time strong faith in a weak plank stretched across the river will land you in the river because the weak rotten plank 
won't hold you up no matter how much faith you have in it. Weak faith in a strong plank will get you across because it's not about how strong your faith is. It's about how strong what you trust is. Have you measured the God who made the promise? He can do more than you can ask or imagine. And if you will put your trust in him, he guarantees you a home in heaven. Let's pray.